What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan, is The Ringer's latest narrative podcast. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then, cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Previously on Recipe Club. We have nine items on a wheel here. And I'm going to let you choose the last one, John. So currently on John's inaugural wedgie wheel, his wheel of life, we've got... Bloody Mary, cabbage, King's Hawaiian, tofu, peanut butter, frozen peas, mango, avocado, and Guinness. John, give us your final wheel item. What about garlic? Ooh, garlic. Okay, okay, okay. I like to see Dave make his 51% garlic dish. I'm excited for that. John, anything on here you're not looking forward to? I I love it all. All right, let's see how this goes. I don't believe it's that. It's spinning. I don't believe that he's open to all. We'll, we'll learn from his reaction to the... Oh, we're fucked. Oh, fuck. We're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> We're so fucked. It Ooh. landed on Bloody Mary, everybody. Um, guys, we are we are back with another episode of Recipe Club. We're joined with our good friend John DeBerry. Is this your second time? It's my second time. Yeah, welcome back. Got a lot of writing on this. I mean, you are one and zero. You are batting one thousand exactly. And um, you want to tell everybody what the what the topic is, the ingre- the recipe. If I recall correctly, the wheel landed on Bloody Marys last time. No, what are you so, talking about? Yeah, to- to- tofu, John. <laughs> we did the tofu episode, man. What have you been making? Uh oh. <laughs> what? A, can I ask you this, John? 
as a uh, uh, as our our youngest club member, our youngest wedgie, our newest wedgie, did anybody ask you what your experience was like on Recipe Club, and what did you tell them? What do you mean, ask me? Like I don't know. Did any of your friends, like acquaintances, professional dirt? people, did anybody was anybody like, oh, how was that thing? Did you tell me what it's like from the outside looking into this insane asylum? I mean, I think it's a really good format. Like it's you know, it's the, the podcast of like a bunch of people shooting this shit. It's always entertaining, but then to have some structure to it, like kind of analyzing and critiquing a recipe. Yeah, it works. It works really well for a lot of people and it works well for me. So happy to be back. And um, I feel like we introduced some people to your company. You want to tell everybody what it, what it is again? Yeah. So among other things, I created a line of uh, zero proof, AKA non-alcoholic botanical drinks called Proto. Um, and we launched last summer in the midst of the pandemic, which was kind of cool. You know, working for Momofuku for nine years, you know, I created tons of cocktails and saw that, you know, in general in the market, there wasn't a ton of credible options for people who were choosing to not drink alcohol for one reason or, or another. And as sort of my last few years at Momofuku, we put on a few, uh, like non-alcoholic cocktails in the menu and just saw people really responded well to them. So, uh, that kind of inspired me to use what I knew about like botanical drinks, like, uh, like Amaro and vermouth and absinthe. And I had this like uncomfortably large accumulation of, uh, herbs and flowers and barks and things that you could use to flavor drinks. That was kind of piling up in my, my kitchen. So a couple Uncomf- of years ago, I said, uncomfortably <laughs> large is this. <laughs> <laughs> like I had like overflowing bags of like gentian, like who, like, it's just, yeah, it was getting absurd. So, uh, I kind of wanted to challenge myself and create something that was like as delicious and interesting and complicated as something that you would have, you know, in an alcohol containing product, like a wine or a fancy cocktail, but I kind of recreate that level of, of interest, uh, without alcohol. Cause it's actually kind of tough. Uh, since alcohol is such a great base for flavor, people love drinking it for the most part. Can you uh, can you can you elaborate? What do you mean alcohol is such a great base for flavor? Yeah, um, well, alcohol is a good solvent, so it dissolves aromatic components like really well. So if you're putting like a like ginger or something into water, it's only going to be so strong when you extract it out. Uh, but if you do it into alcohol, the alcohol pulls a lot of the flavor kind of molecules, <laughs> for lack of a better term, into the alcohol, and it carries it really well. It also has a lower boiling point and a lower density. So when it hits your palate, it gets like more volatile. And so it releases those flavors into your, into your head, essentially. So it packs more of a punch. And so it's, it's a great way to like preserve flavors over, you know, long periods of time. And you can create lots of very densely flavored things, but water doesn't have that same capability as, as, as much. So it's a little trickier to kind of recreate that like kind of hit that you get from, from drinking something without alcohol in it. Chris Yang, that was the best explanation. I think one of the best explanations of anything that's ever been on any of the podcasts we've ever done. I was that's my bootleg Harold McGee. That was amazing. Uh, pontification. Chris Yang, let's give you, let's, let's have you give it a shot. What, what, what is, uh, what is alcohol such a good base for fa- flavor? You, you give it a shot. You're, 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 you're a spin. So what alcohol does is it makes the person drinking it dizzy and therefore less inclined to taste whatever you put into their drink. And so it's, it's really good for, for making uh, cocktails. My, uh, why I think um, you have to, it's also important to repeat the question, Chris. I think that it is important to know that alcohol is a good base for flavor is because when you taste alcohol, you taste alcohol. It is self-evident that you're tasting alcohol. 
That's why it's a good base for flavor because you can actually taste something. It could be anything. Alcohol just happens to be one of those things. <laughs> well, you really made this drink taste like alcohol, Dave. Thank you <laughs> See? so much. I'm really getting uh, notes of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a profile. It's a great place. You, you're, it's a very, it's like, you know, it's like I can taste rosemary. It's like, oh, I can, there's booze in this. That's how I look at it. So anyway, since we have John here to talk about something he's an expert in, uh, once again, as always here on the show, we've 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 each submitted a recipe for a Bloody Mary. We've all made all three, I assume, tasted them, and now we're going to sort of compare notes and contrast and, and figure out the very best way to make a Bloody Mary. But let me start with this before we even get into that. John, is there a single best way to make any cocktail? I don't think that's true. I mean... Ask someone else, they may disagree with me. But for me, like the best drink is the one that you enjoy drinking. So if there's a recipe out there that you find that works perfectly for you, that you think is amazing, go for it. But if you come up with your own ridiculous riff on a drink and make replacements, and as long as you're the one drinking it and enjoying it, like who cares? So there's no definitive version of of a cocktail recipe for me. Really, it's all about like your own personal experience and yeah. JDB, very enlightened answer now can you do us a favor and put on the hat of somebody that would not say something so enlightened <laughs> <laughs> and as a bartender that you may not agree with but take on the position of something where there is only one way how would they sound like well like the true test of a cocktail is like really in its balance and if the drink drink needs to be like balanced in sweetness and alcohol and acidity some level of bitterness uh, and I think that in order to get a drink right, you know, that really is just memorable and amazing, you need to really get every one of those points of balance in some level of perceptibility. And if it's too weighted in one direction or another, like if it's really sweet, then it's just going to cloud out other sensations. So that to me is sort of what makes a perfect drink is that you can kind of get everything and that you've kind of dialed it in in a way that accurately represents all the ingredients unflappable chris yang this man is unflappable we can't bait this guy in anything today what's going on here (laughs) dave let me ask you this question because i think you've sort of jokingly talked about not or maybe not even jokingly but i think you would be if i were to be like do you make cocktails how are your cocktails you'd be dismissive about it but how is your cocktail game and if it's bad what is the challenge to you i don't make cocktails because i would drink them mostly for someone like john and i've had many a cocktail from john DeBerry, one of the greats out there um but you know john brought up a a big point about temperance and drinking non-alcoholic beverages and and i just don't drink that much at home i really don't and i've been drunk so much of my life what experience am I going to encounter that I haven't had many, many times? And Chris, you saw me in in San Fran when we were drinking. Like I was so terribly hungover <laughs> because we had like six pitchers of margarita, and I paid the price. And it's just not something I can do at all yeah. anymore. Um, it's not to say I I don't enjoy it, but it doesn't have that effectively like my alcoholic youth, and I just don't have a desire. I mean, I, I enjoyed a nice bottle of Ravino the other day for dinner and that was like because like one of the first nights you know like i i, I clearly want to taste something delicious but i don't need to get fucked up on it and i think when i was younger john maybe you can uh, agree like when you're younger it's like drinking is about getting fucked up right and i think that it is the way for a lot of adults past 16 months <laughs> at home like i want to get fucked up <laughs> right. please mm-hmm. please uh start this now i need to drown my sorrows but 
I think for me, I, I just, I don't make cocktails at home. I mean, I did at the beginning of the pandemic, I was making a lot of Negronis, um, which is like the most I've ever, that's the most cocktail making I ever did. Yeah, like peeling the orange, getting the, <laughs> verm all that stuff. Cause I was like, if I'm going to do this, it's got to taste good because I'm not, I can't go to a bar, but I wasn't <laughs> drinking like seven of them. Like in my youth, it was like just to have something that feels like you wouldn't normally have, but I don't drink. And when I do drink, I drink non-alcoholic beer. Like I really do. I really do drink athletic brew just because it's like a seltzer water to me. And that's one good. reason why yeah. I, that's why I like drinking like shitty light beers. Not because I want to get fucked up. It's just really refreshing. I like drinking beer on ice because it's really Same. refreshing. Mm -hmm. Um, so this I said whole that something the other day and they were horrified. Yeah, good. Who cares? Ice and beer, so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> you can't eat South Southeast Asian food without chili, icy beer. So no, I, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point. I just don't make cocktails at home. My wife doesn't really drink at all. So I just give, if you come to my house, I'll just give you bottles of booze because I just don't drink it. Uh, all right, fair enough. But you you brought up one thing, which is the price you pay that just gets steeper and steeper as you get older and older. Uh, the, the hangover. Do you? But this is important to, to 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 talk about, Chris. What is the history of Bloody Mary? Because I feel like when you see people drinking it, is a morning brunch type of thing, and this hair of the dog type of bullshit, which I don't necessarily know if I agree with. Is this true, John DeBerry? That if I drink alcohol first thing in the morning, it's going to make me feel better after a night of drinking. It might make you feel better in a certain respect, but it's not going to actually fix anything. It's just probably going to alleviate some of the uh, withdrawal, but you're still just delaying what's going to happen anyway, is that you just need to process it. And mm -hmm. yeah, the idea of this as a, as a hangover cure is always, didn't really sit right with me. Uh, <laughs> because if you're hungover, like, yeah, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so two non-subscribers to the hair of the dog. I don't think I particularly subscribe to the hair of the dog either, but many, what does many it mean? What does it do? mean? It, it could be as arbitrary as hand of the dog. And it still well, wouldn't it mean anything to, to me. It was if you got bitten by a dog, supposedly like the cure for whatever rabies was to have some elixir with like the hair of the dog that bit you. It's like, that's the old wives tale. It's the dumbest explanation. <laughs> and if that's the truth, I mean, it's about it's about us. as accurate as the fact that a Bloody Mary will cure your hangover. But I mean, wait, hold on. Right. You know that that's some Anglo-Saxon shit, man. Asian people don't say that at all. What's the translation <laughs> in like Mandarin? John, you I, might know this too. What would, what would hand of the hair of the dog be in, in Mandarin? I don't know. I, See? I, I, my Chinese is super rusty. But isn't there that Korean pear that's supposed to be a hangover cure? Korean pear. Yeah, isn't there some magic pair that's supposed to have some qualities? It, it, I feel like George Costanza. I'm a little bit bitter because if it does exist, nobody has ever told me <laughs> anything. The thing about Korean food is like anju and everything about Korean food is for hangovers. Literally, bosam, moram bosam is hangover food. I mean, I've seen it. I've done it. And that's what you eat. You eat like steaming pork belly with kimchi and oysters. It doesn't make any sense. But do you believe in hangover cures, period? Do you believe that? In college, something. I believed it was a giant bong hit from a three-foot graphics with ice in no. it. I believe that's clinically nice. proven, yes. But that's it. I'm not... Never have I ever thought to myself, you know what I want? Bloody Mary. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. But we got to talk about this because I think that all three of us were excited to put Bloody Marys on here and we're excited to that, that it landed on there. So if it's not a hangover cure for both of you, when do you enjoy a Bloody Mary? Uh, 
honestly, I don't know when. Uh, maybe I've ordered on an airplane. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I saw someone else do it. I was like, everything else is garbage. Like, you know, I, what I do see sometimes is someone like, can I just get a Bloody Mary mix? And talking about virgin drinks, um, you know, Bloody Mary mix is basically just spicy tomato juice. I think that's fine on ice, you know, but the only place I've ever ordered a Bloody Mary, I think, is when I've been to JG Mellon because that's what my friends told me I had to do. And it's got a fine burger. I don't think it's nearly as good as what everyone says it is in New York City on the Upper East Side. I think there's a uh, outpost downtown now, but I mean, people are drinking Bloody Bulls and they take a bottle, a, a can of Campbell's soup, like beef broth, mm-hmm. and then you have a Bloody Bull. That's the only time I think I've ever ordered a Bloody Mary. I've been given Bloody Marys at like uh, a sporting event. You know, when people are just like handing it out, yeah, I'm drinking it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but i don't think i've ever ordered one have you guys ordered do you guys bloody mary it up i can't remember the last time i ever ordered a bloody mary i'm like been racking my brain in the past five minutes and i mean brunch that's the only time to order a bloody mary i don't ever I enjoy think I have it to be given a bloody mary in order yeah. for me to drink it right i think that's the protocol and when you drink it are you like uh well i drank that or are you like oh i, I should i should think about this drink more often no i'm like i drank that <laughs> Here's something you should not Google and look at the images for. Ultimate Bloody Mary. Uh, Because speaking of meals, like where are you guys on these like absolutely absurd over the top quote unquote garnishes for Bloody Marys? Like I'm looking at like the hamburger on top. I'm seeing like hamburgers and slices of pizza and like deep fried lobster rolls and shit hanging out of a Bloody Mary. Like this is completely counterintuitive to everything, right? There's a lot of things I'm curious about on the internet. That is not one. I will 100% never, ever type in those words. <laughs> yeah. Ultimate Bloody Mary is NSFW. Uh, if you just Google Bloody Mary recipe, however, you get 24.8 million results, or at least I do. So some people out there are drinking Bloody Marys. and But who, the- who are these people? Let's type past them. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, okay. Let's, okay. Let, let's paint people in a in a in an unflattering light. <laughs> sure, sure. I think the person who's ordering it is a brunch goer who's trying to walk on the naughty side of life, but is kind of failing to do so. Do you are you Ooh. saying this person is a 25-year-old Asian female? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, but from now, the Pacific uh, Northwest. But now they've just sort of materialized <laughs> in my head into into something. Yeah, I'm looking at them. Uh huh. Uh-huh. No, I I honestly think for me, uh, I, I again, this is no research other than just me <laughs> saying this shit out loud. But popular in schools that have athletics and sports teams, football primarily football, mm-hmm. which goes Pac-10. But I really think, where do you think the 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 concentration of most Bloody Marys are are consumed. I think it starts with the SEC, you know, the Southeast belt going all the way up to New England. And I think it's equally consumed from the SEC all the way to, 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 to Boston, Massachusetts. I think it is the highest concentration of Bloody Mary consumption in America is at the University of Southern California. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's where I believe it is. That's the kind of, I mean, that's just what I am accustomed to. That's where I think it is. So yeah. you've seen this growing up in California because I haven't. Like, John, where have you seen it? You, you, what do you think it is? 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a really, I don't know, maybe it's just like I grew up in New England, but I feel like it's a very like East Coast, like kind of cool weather thing. And the idea of like drinking a Bloody Mary when it's like super hot out sounds kind of unappealing. You know, it's like a little thick. It's disgusting. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it's just a little glumpy. But like if it's like if it's like October in like Eastern Seaboard, could work for me. I've had a lot of them in college, especially when in a tiny, tiny cup with a, a big stock of celery that's too, too, too big for the cup. But I feel like in Canada, people take their Caesars very seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what exactly? Because I've had them. We actually had a Caesar cart at uh, Momo Toronto for a bit. People loved it. Um, and I, 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 I don't think of it as something that was alcoholic. I just think of it as something that was like really tomato spicy and a lot of umami but what's in a caesar i'm pretty sure it's just a bloody mary but with clamato instead of like plain tomato juice and what is clamato is that with clam juice and tomato juice i think so really yeah <laughs> can we look it's, that up it's like it's dehydrated clam juice like mixed in it's it's an yeah it's it's so they it's dehydrate clams. the clams and they rehydrate them in the tomato juice it's the no it's the 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 liquor well, <laughs> AKA Poseidon's nectar that's been sort of powderized. Poseidon would be so pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Clamato juice, I thought was just like a name, but not realizing that was actually true. I thought it was like based on something that was like a joke, but it's actually clam juice and tomato. It's actually (laughs) seasoned. It's actually, no, but it's like, I mean, sure. So so you're basically having a, 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 Manhattan clam chowder that's been turned into a constant pain. <laughs> wow. Yeah, with, with alcohol. With alcohol, exactly. Um, but do you think, do you guys think that bloody, do you think there's a distinction between Bloody Mary drinkers and mimosa drinkers? The same person. Same person? Yeah. It's kind of the person, they, 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 they want their, they want their like cool points, but they, I don't know, it's like they can't commit. <laughs> like just order a glass of champagne, you know, just. Yes. Just order a glass of champagne. That's what. That's the. That's the uh, conclusion here. Can I give you one thing to the genre of Bloody Marys? The, the the one thing that I'm a huge advocate for, and I don't know why this is different. Can you guys guess the one thing that I do champion and celebrate because it doesn't make any sense to me? Why it's so different about the Bloody Mary? The the genre the. The the, the 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 genus family of of the Bloody Mary mix around the world. I mean, is it just that it's a savory cocktail? There's one version of it that I think I can drink, and I have had it at nighttime, and I have had it at all days, all points of the day. Uh huh. And that's just the Michelada. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel a Michelada is something that's different? Because in some ways, that is a Bloody Mary. It's based on the true story of a Bloody Mary, right? Yeah, I think that they they probably have like p- parallel and distinct histories, but I, I think that the the Michelada has that refreshing thing that we're talking about. Plus, mm. it's beer on ice. For mm-hmm. me, it's like seasoned beer. Yeah, yeah. it's so, so good, good that way with Tecate. Oh, yeah, the Michelada is 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 the uh, uh, yeah. I think it's the, <laughs> it's the ultimate form of this tomato cocktail thing. Can we dare say it is? If we believe in evolution, it is the peak evolutionary journey of the bloody mary <laughs> yeah of course i i i 100% i don't know if the, i don't know that it's evolved from the bloody mary exactly i don't want to i don't want to misrepresent that and michelada fans out there might be like we have nothing to do with your fucking stupid north of the border bloody mary thing and i don't want to associate them but 
as far as the genre goes, yeah, it's the fucking most refined form of the cocktail. Although, have you had have you had the the the, the fresh tomato Bloody Marys in in uh, Japan? They make them in like a blender, and it's like Ooh. super frothy, and it's just vodka and like pureed tomato. Fuck you, John DeBerry. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. <laughs> of course, of course. It takes them like twenty minutes to make, and you're just like watching it, but then it's totally worth it. Wow. Do they call it a big, <laughs> do they associate, they call it a Bloody Mary where you've had I it there? I think they do. Yeah. I, I'm a little rusty on it, but that's like their rendition. Wow. Okay. Okay. And it's like pink and it's frothy. Everything's better. Everything's better there. <laughs> Thanks for oh. nothing, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're just stuck with the version we have here. So let's, let's get into the actual recipes we brought. Like I said, there are 28 million of them out there. Uh, Dave and I chose two of the ones you find online and John DeBerry extra credit doer that he is did not pull from the available ones on the internet. But it's, he contributed very, this, again. So competitive. Hey. So competitive. I'm, ripping, I'm ripping myself off here. So it's not like that. Yeah, sure. But you, the, the, the work was done at some point as opposed to what True. Dave and I did. So John brought uh, a bloody Mary of his own creation that he used to serve at Sambar. Um, Dave's recipe comes from Dave, uh, uh, as is his won't, pulled from a uh, from Frank's Red Hot's website and contributed the Bloody Bull, which involves beef stock. And mine is from Martha Stewart Living, a mescal Bloody Maria. Um, I can't tell. If, I can't tell if it's a racist name. I, was just I think it say. is race. I think it is racist. I think it might be racist. Um, Why can't you say it's a Bloody Mary with mezcal? You could just say that. Why do you have to call it Bloody Bloody Maria? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's better to be clever. Uh, so, John, having won his inaugural episode of Recipe Club with chickpeas and his uh, magical chickpea brownies, you get to choose where we start. How do you want to do this, John? You want to go first? You want to defer? Uh, I want to defer. Okay. Let me... Who do you want? <laughs> Let me or choose... Do you want me to pick one? Yeah, yeah, I, I pick one. really want to do the Frank's Red Hot. Okay, great. Okay. That's why I wanted to go anyway. Great. Well, as I said, I, the first time I ever had a Bloody Mary was uh, a Bloody Bull was when I saw the bartender at J.G. Mellon's pop open a goddamn Campbell's beef broth thing and just added it to a Bloody Mary. And I said, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Wait, just at like, the bar, like popped open a can? Yeah, because they do in these little like float glasses and... I've only been there like two times in my life, and I, the first time, I, like everyone seems to be ordering it. <laughs> I was like, I was just my jaw dropped. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I was like, what is this person doing? Taking a goddamn can, <laughs> popping it open with just like a like a little divot. Like they worked, they're, they're like working on the front line of the army, and they're just like trying to crack open a can, and they just pour it right into the thing with the, the double pour mm-hmm. with the pre batch. And then, and then they all they asked is like, how spicy would you like it? And they put in like a lemon, blah blah blah. And I tasted it, and I was like, I actually thought it was more savory. I liked it because it wasn't super super thick. And if I ever ever drank it, it'd be a little bit more like a bloody bull, which is why I chose it. And I really did have a hard time thinking, do I make a Caesar? But I was like, I spent enough time in Ontario and Canada to realize, like, don't fuck with that. <laughs> like they, take, they, take, they take the Caesar very seriously. It is theirs, and I'm not going to do it. I, I can mess with the Bloody Bull, and I I I I, I want to do some variation of it. I think we all did, and it's pretty simple. You take tomato juice, you take vodka, you take 
Frank's Red Hot could be any hot sauce, quite frankly. I couldn't find Campbell's, so I saw I, I found a, a, a can of Swanson's beef broth, mm-hmm. horseradish, lemon juice. Worcestershire sauce is crucial, mm-hmm. which, yeah. again, does not make it vegan. Immediately, whenever you add Worcestershire, you're adding tiny traces of anchovy, a magical sauce. It's just umami. It's salty umami. You might as well add other umami elements. And uh, I think it calls for a celery stick. And was there a salt on it? Oh, celery salt. No, yours had celery salt, this, Chris. Yours had no garnish. Yours no was garnish. just combine them and, and pour them over ice. I made a giant batch of it. It's taking a quart container and a half, <laughs> uh, and it's sitting in my fridge. I had one this sip. This recipe of- was huge. <laughs> huge. <laughs> I was yeah. like seven. seven. It's, it's a wine bottle's worth of tomato juice. <laughs> It is so, it's basically almost two quarts of, of liquid. Yeah. Easily. It is a ton of liquid. I, I had um, a sip of it and I put it away and I was like, well, <laughs> nice that I made this recipe works. I think it was tasty. It's the first time, only time I'll ever make a bloody bowl in my life. And if it was served to me in a bar, I'd put, can you put some more hot sauce in it? That would be mm-hmm. my only thing. And maybe a, a, a squeeze more lemon. I think you have to serve it on ice. I think all of That's these have to be served on ice. Yeah. Most definitely. I think the ice is important because otherwise it's too, it's too saucy. Can I add one more thing? If you're going to really take this to the next level, to me, the perfect ice, right? Because ice is such a big thing in your profession, John, right? Like, yeah, I think you need the ice chips for Bloody Mary. Like, like the pellet ice? Yeah, ooh, that would be hmm. good, I think. Because you want it to get a little bit muddled with water, I think. Yeah, I think it's good when it gets to, it gets diluted. Yeah. Like a hmm. little a little watery, a little, like really cold. I love this recipe because of like th- the way the measurements were so chaotic. It was like all in milliliters, and then the lemon juice was a <laughs> tablespoon. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I love that. And so I love, I think this is one of the first recipes we've ever done in, in, uh, in the metric system. In metric? Which is why I, I think it should win. <laughs> it looks like someone copied and pasted the first items on the, on the recipe from somewhere else and then added like, oh shit, lemon juice. And just add a tablespoon of lemon juice. And then they were like, we're done. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call it a day. I mean, Dave, I think you're absolutely right that this thing needs more lemon juice. When you think, when you think about it, when you just look at this recipe, like we said, it is 750 mils of tomato juice, 500 it's milliliters so, of beef so stock, much. 300 milliliters of vodka, all the other stuff, and then a tablespoon of lemon juice. Like that cannot possibly be enough lemon juice for like two liters of Bloody Mary. That's insane. It's a single like lemon wedge squeeze into like two liters of of Bloody Mary. I uh, well, John, what did you think about the recipe overall? How did you how did you navigate the not veganness of this one? I mean, I'm not really super dogmatic about about the vegan thing. You know, it's like this is our this is R and D. This is work related. So. I didn't try to modify it. I was, I'm, I'm really into like my recipe club philosophy is like super by the book, follow the recipe to like critique it as it's written. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always what's fun to me. So like the, the units were funny how it was like all in, in metric. And then there was this one in, in a uh, Imperial. But then I also love how all of our recipes have like the directions is just put it all together. <laughs> yeah. That was the, like there's, it's best. like step one, drink the drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every single one of ours is i think one step it's just combine everything pour it over ice and do Pretty some much. other shit but john would you yeah and we sort of talked about it when would if someone was going to make any of these recipes do they make it a, in the morning is it an afternoon thing is it like a don draper i'm drinking three for lunch 
or is it a nightcap? I mean, a nightcap is not where I would go. Where I would go first, but for me, like I think these recipes, all three of them, do better after like at least twelve hours in the refrigerator. Hmm. Just something about the flavors integrated. They get they get colder. The spice kind of gets more integrated. Uh, so I actually made all of these uh, like Friday night, and then like tasted them each day until today. And I definitely there's like a nice like improvement over like 24 hours. So it's, it's a great thing to make ahead. When's the latest somebody ever asked you for a Bloody Mary at a bar that you worked at? <laughs> oh my God, that's the greatest question I've ever heard. It's kind of sad. I, I mean, not sad, but I really only worked at one bar at PDT and we never served Bloody Marys. And then at Momofuku, we served Bloody Marys for brunch. <laughs> but I think some people came in at night and maybe asked for them, but it wasn't super common. Now, who is that, Dave? Who who do you have in your brain who's ordering the 8.30 p.m. Bloody Mary? Someone in an airport. Yeah, someone in an airport, for sure. Like, um, there's like a, a, there's a Palm Steakhouse at the Delta Terminal in Newark, <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. is 24-7 Bloody Marys. <laughs> we just did it. We, we, we did it. We did it. We actually <laughs> found where Bloody Marys are consumed at airport bars. Across the world, airport bars, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was saying if somebody from New York was going to come into a, a restaurant late at night and ask for a Bloody Mary, I'm just going to say it. I think they're wearing a Goldman Sachs computer bag <laughs> and a Patagonia sweater vest <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. and double pleated khakis uh-huh. with like boat shoes and yeah. and, and a Blackberry. <laughs> <laughs> Two, three yeah. phones. They have like three phones on the pager. Yeah. I was going to try to distinguish between that person and the person who, because here's another one that I don't really quite grok is the, this only happens on airplanes too, but people who just order Bloody Mary mix to drink. Yeah. I, like that's I, I socially that. acceptable. Weirdly, I respect that on airplanes. It's because of the noise. What do you mean it's because of the noise? The noise of the airplane, it like dulls your senses because you're like, it's like cognitively distracting. So you want something that's like more flavorful. So salty, like rich, like umami things are like more appealing to you uh, when you're in the air. But when you're saying you, does that appeal to you? you? I would drink tomato juice on the what? plane. Yeah, dude, totally. Dude, when you're on an airplane, anything goes. And with man. the ice? When you're yeah. On airplane, anything goes. <laughs> anything goes. <laughs> it's true. Just like the way people will sleep totally. and eat and behave on an airplane is just like all rules are out. I don't eat fucking peanuts. Ever. <laughs> I don't eat Biscoff cookies ever. <laughs> you know plane. what I do on an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, anyway, I, I listen. Going back to mine, I think it was fine. It is an, an just for the record. You don't have to make all of this. This can serve like eight people with ice. It's huge. Cut, cut it back. Cut it back. You really cut, cut I it cut back it by off. half. Yeah, yeah. I divided it. I, I did a one one fourth of this, but I uh, I do think I made it exactly. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, if you, I mean, listen, if you actually the, the nice thing about all these recipes to, to John's point, when like batching these out is the best thing you can do for them. And I think like if you're somebody who wants to for some reason serve people bloody marys like this, it's actually amazing. Just I, I I imagine we all made them in like quart containers or some equivalent of that, and then you can just stick them in the fridge. So that was that was useful. Bloody Maria time. Bloody Maria time. 
So I chose between, so again, John being super extra credit, submitted two recipes for consideration. What? One was the Sambar one, and the other one was going to, was uh, the Bloody Mary recipe from your own book, from yeah. Drink What You Want. And my first instinct was like, this motherfucker did my work for me. I am just going to select his other recipe and submit that. Ooh, wow, we could have had, we could have had dueling face uh, off JDBs here, but. I thought it would just be a little unfair to just pick to, to, to copy my homework off of you. So, so I want to win recipe club. I just keep submitting all of my own recipes for everyone and just do all the work for you. And then you just like by default, there's yeah. just no option. Yeah, you know exactly how to win. Um, <laughs> I wanted to choose one because there are a bunch of uh, variations on Bloody Marys that we've talked about. Like, I don't I don't know if you want to consider the Michelada one, but, you know, there's the Bloody Snapper, which is a Bloody Mary with gin. And then there's the Bloody Caesar. And bloody then the, Snapper. Yeah, the Bloody Snapper. I, wow. I don't know, man. I just I haven't had it. I've just read about it. And then the Bloody Maria, which I don't I don't want to pin on Martha Stewart for coming up with because that's a that's a name that's out there. But I wanted to try a different uh, spirit and just see how it suited all of us. This one is made with clamato juice and not uh, tomato juice, unlike the other two. It's clamato, lemon, Worcestershire, horseradish, ginger, and mezcal and celery salt for the rim. I I didn't do any celery salt, but uh, it's the same exact thing. You mix everything up, you store it in the fridge at least for 30 minutes, you know, up to a day in advance. I don't see why you couldn't do it for a little bit longer than that. And then you serve it over ice. I didn't really say this about Dave's yet, but I think Dave's to me was like the most recognized, like immediately, like this is what a Bloody Mary tastes like to me. This is a, this is a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Mine did not. <laughs> I think that like, I, I love, I love mezcal actually. Like I really, I, I really like that as a spirit. I think that the things I love about mezcal weren't really especially perceptible here or weren't especially great here. This wasn't an offensive drink to me by by any means, but I think that like here I am abandoning my my recipe already. But uh, I like John's and I like Dave's, but I, I'd like to hear what you guys thought. I thought this was good. I kind of think that mezcal has like this weird fruity undertone. And something about like the ginger and the Worcestershire, it ha it was just kind of yeah, it kind of worked for me on a on a flavor level, but definitely it was better after twelve hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It needed some time. The ginger threw me for a loop, and I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever had a cocktail with mezcal in it. I think I, I and enjoyed it. Mm. You know, I like sipping mezcal with just nothing. You know, just like sipping it. So when I made it, I originally was like, this is going to be horrible. And I was, again, mostly upset that I had to buy a bottle of Mezcal that I will never <laughs> drink again from. And when I tasted it, I liked it a lot. I thought it was delicious. <laughs> and I think the the spice of everything in the ginger actually was a perfect pairing to the smokiness of the Mezcal. So I'm glad I made this because I like being wrong when I have this, like, uh, you know, my bias towards it was proved to be wrong. I thought it was going to taste like total crap. And it was actually super delicious to me. So, yeah, I mean, that's interesting because I think that what I'm sort of perceiving as the mezcal gets a little lost in this, you're actually probably rightly pointing out is more like a bunch of tomato juice, ginger, Worcestershire sauce, hot sauce, all of this stuff is like the only thing that can stand up to mezcal in a cocktail. Yeah, it actually works. I'll be honest. I, I was surprised that it worked. I mean, I feel better that John just said that he liked the recipe too. That made me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Nice. 
<laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Chris, I mean, you the, seem sad. So. The ginger was the sort of other thing that this recipe pointed out as like a little bit out there. I didn't, you know, I, I thought that it, it worked. I, you know, again, I just sort of, maybe I'm just conditioned to like a Bloody Mary to taste what is in my head as a Bloody Mary, but I'm glad you guys both got something out of it. So is this, is this a Caesar? Cause it has Clamato in it. Yeah. Well, that's another thing to think about. I'm trying, I've been trying to understand the exact difference between a Caesar, okay. Caesar mix read, and let Clamato. Let me read it from the truth that is Wikipedia. <laughs> Hold on. Let me edit the Wikipedia real quick. <laughs> a, a Caesar, aka bloody Caesar is a cocktail created and consumed primarily in Canada Typically contains a vodka, a Caesar mix, a blend of tomato juice and clam broth, hot sauce, and Worcestershire sauce, and is served with ice in a large celery salt rim glass, typically garnished with a stock of celery and a wedge of lime. What distinguishes it from a Bloody Mary is the inclusion of clam broth. The cocktail may be contrasted with a michelada, which has a similar flavor ingredient, but uses beer instead of vodka. What a surprise. It was invented in 1953 by Paul Pawlowski. Hey, let me ask you this, John, because every it seems like every time you try to read about the history of a cocktail, there is like a disputed origin. So let me ask you two, two questions. Bloody Mary, Bloody Caesar, whatever it is, there's always some crazy story about so-and-so walked into a bar and Ernest Hemingway used to drink there and they came up with this right. fucking cocktail, right? One, how much do you care about that? And two... Is there a special reason why it's like always <laughs> disputed where a cocktail is created? Well, your first question, I, I I used to care a lot about history because I thought that that made me interesting or <laughs> like that, I, that I was good at my job. Yeah, You know, you could study your way into being competent. So it, I, I found it interesting as I was learning about drinks, but then ultimately it's like you train enough people how to think about drinks and not training people like bartenders who are really steeped in it but like just kind of casual people you start talking to them about the history of cocktails and you get like an eighth of the way into the story and they're just like you lost them so i don't find it to be that fascinating and also it's just really hard to nail it down and i feel like the history of cocktails doesn't quite have this is like a bit richer than the history of like dishes you know like you can trace some cocktails back to like 1860 or even earlier so i feel like people try to claim authorship of drinks Mm -hmm. more readily and so i guess people try to to say they invented something when maybe they overheard it or mm -hmm. you know honestly it's not that revolutionary to take tomato juice and put vodka in it like <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't think there's a patent for that you know is there anything in your memory or, or dave's yours either of like i just feel like there are a great number of delicious cocktails in the world undoubtedly so and, and very talented bartenders but i also feel like for some reason, there's been this sort of like open and shut, like these are the classic cocktails and that is it. Like what is the most recent addition to like the classic cocktail canon? Are there, there are there like cocktails that people have come up with in the last 20 years that are now standards at every bar? Does that happen? This is a good question. I mean, it's, it's tough because it's like, even the ones I'm thinking of are like riffs on other, other drinks that have been around forever. Like, yeah, so like the, the modern classics, I, I think, you know, they're they're still kind of old drinks that people have just kept up, kept updated or it's funny because it's always like you have to have it's gimlets and martinis and like everything is from pre-prohibition and like the latest the fifties or something like that. But uh anyway, you yeah, were I mean saying... the Cosmo actually, maybe that's a that's a good example. Oh, interesting. That's pretty recent. That's from the nineties. And it's there you go. A, a legitimately good drink. There you go. So isn't it basically just a Shirley Temple? 
with no, alcohol? No, it's basically it's m- more or less a um, a margarita with uh, vodka instead of tequila and cranberry juice. Mm. Kind of think about it that way. That sounds good. I want to drink a Cosmo. I want to drink that on ice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a legit good drink. <laughs> Um, all right, let's go to our last contribution here. John DeBerry's own Bloody Mary. John, tell us about this drink, its creation, and uh, how it's how it's done. So yeah, I came up with this drink back uh, when I was working at Sambar, and I wanted to do a drink that was like the liquid version of the pork buns. Hmm. So I tried to like include every hmm. element in there. So tomato juice, obviously, because it's a Bloody Mary. I included apple cider. Uh, rye whiskey and sake instead of vodka, just to, I don't know, I felt very somber. And I think actually at the time we didn't even have, have vodka. Anyway, no, that's another story. <laughs> Apple cider vinegar, sriracha, but you can update it for momofuku sam sauce if you want, hoisin, and soy sauce. So it's basically like every element that you find in the pork buns in a glass. And then the kind of pork element comes from this spice blend. Uh, of really well-cooked bacon blended into uh, togarashi uh, spice blend. And you, you do that on the rim. So, Yeah, this was, this to me, I mean, pretty obviously based on the ingredients you just listed and sort of your approach to it, like this is the, the still very recognizable as a Bloody Mary, but like the most kind of uh, unique one of the three, I think, the most distinctive of the three. Fucking John's going to win this, isn't he? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to come up with something bad to say about it. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work compared to the others. It's not yeah. even, though. It's, uh, it is. I'll, I did not make the bacon salt. I just used uh, um, Momofuku's spicy salt. Oh, nice. Go on the rim. Yeah. I, was, I didn't, I didn't want to buy bacon just for this, so I chose not to do it. I bought bacon for this. <laughs> First time in six months. <laughs> uh, I just, I just did, I just, uh, Cook some bacon in my any day, actually, and oh. covered it in togarashi and uh, <laughs> just gave it to my wife on the side because <laughs> I was making her drink all of these and she uh, she ate all of the bacon. I, I think the first the first thing off the bat is like I like the sweetness of this one. I like the, I think the hoisin brings like a nice sweetness that I, I realized like I was kind of missing from the other ones. No, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Thank you. <laughs> How often does that sort of like exercise pan out for you, though? If you're like, I'm going to try with this very specific purpose in mind to make a liquid version of the pork bun. Like how often do you does something like that yield results versus whoops, I shouldn't have tried to do that. I have a few a few drinks like that where I, where I pull like some sort of connection to, to maybe food like this is probably the most like discreet riff on you know a real dish. But I had this like kind of fancy schmancy martini at PDT. That was kind of a riff off steak au with like the campo pepper. And so I definitely like, like to pull from culinary inspiration, but this is really like, it's one stop short of basically just putting a, a, a pork bun in a blender with some <laughs> tomato juice, which actually sounds good now that I'm talking about it. Uh, but, but yeah, I think I, it's always a fun place for me since I'm like definitely more of a food, like a food restaurant person anyway. So when I looked at the ingredients, I was like, there, I mean, I'm sorry, John. It's like, there's no way John's going to win. There's oh, no interesting. Way. And Uh-oh. I was like, this is going to taste terrible. I know that was my reaction. What about it made you think it was going to taste terrible? Just like, again, like now it makes sense with the story. I didn't even know the story. It was just the hoisin and, and, and you know, you, some sauce or, or sriracha, all these things like that now makes sense. But I just didn't think it was going to taste good. 
Like it's got too much going on. It's just so much going on. Yeah. That was also like the era. That was like that was like Sambar like 2011 was just yeah. maximalism. But I will also tell you that it it is a testament to your talent because you took something that on paper doesn't make any sense to me. And <laughs> you know, I I like the fact that you use Rye. Like a lot of these elements make sense a lot more after the story because I had almost nothing to do with with anything a brunch around that time of Sambar too. So like, I, I just was a fan of drinking things. I don't think I ever had your Bloody Mary there. So this was the first time. So that was interesting. And I just thought it was going to taste weird or not. Weird's not the right word. It just wasn't going to make sense. I will tell you one thing. I didn't want to buy rye whiskey or anything like a whiskey or bourbon. <laughs> so I substituted it with the only whiskey I had, which is Hibiki. Japanese whiskey. Yeah. Oh, nice. And I made it I'm with sure Hibiki, Hibiki 17. It's <laughs> oh so like a $500 money. Because <laughs> <laughs> somebody gifted that to me and I'm like, oh, fuck it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it made it extremely delicious. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. And again, I didn't use too much. I just made enough for like one, one drink. And I was like, fuck, John. John's really good at this. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was an awesome recipe. And I love eating crow uh, when I'm wrong like this because <laughs> I, when I just looked at it for whatever reason, I was like, this is crazy. And it works. It actually works incredibly well. I actually think it tastes really good with the Japanese whiskey because it has that sort of smoky note that yeah. the mezcal has. And, and it has that same sort of feeling to me when I have great Sichuan food because I just had some recently where you're like, I don't know where I'm going to find harmony in the madness of the mala right but you do mm-hmm. and it's like at the apex of the insanity on your palate you're like ah i and have clarity yeah it really really had totally. that moment and when i tasted it, i was like this is what i love about food because it doesn't make any sense but you never know what it actually is going to taste like until you taste it and this is why i always say like don't edit in your head and i was editing my head put in the work and I was proven wrong, and it's a delicious recipe. And I say that not because I want you to win. It's just the God honest truth. I think everybody's recipe was delicious. I think everybody wins today. But I was really very similar, which is what makes me unhappy, very similar <laughs> to your chickpea cake, which didn't make me happy, but it was the most like, what the F? <laughs> yeah. And I have the same thing. trying same, to disturb and delight. That's, yeah. that's my goal. It's a good title for a cookbook or a <laughs> uh, next book, Disturb and Delight. Disturb or a novel. and Delight. Mm. <laughs> Pretty here first. Culinary creations from the upside down <laughs> twisted mind of John DeBerry. Um, <laughs> can I say two things about the ingredients on, on this cocktail? One, I, I, maybe it's just me, but this this recipe actually required the least shopping of all of the recipes for me. Yeah. Like, I don't have fucking celery salt. I don't have any of this other shit. <laughs> like, I've got everything that you asked for on this list in my home. <laughs> like, I have all of this. So, you know, Asian household, you can make this drink no problem. It's not actually I mean, too I pulled much this, I made this drink from, like, the pantry of Sambar. So yes. Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense why it was easy. <laughs> just, just wandered around and found stuff. The thing I find like really, I mean, Dave has, Dave has talked a lot about the ethnic aisle in grocery stores, but I, I will also say one really disappointing thing to me is like, I went to my local grocery store that has a absurd collection of craft beers and has every, you know, has a, has a very sizable collection of all spirits, but 
their sake selection was shochiku by just like the standard cooking sake mm. and like one other like or you know what it was dave it's like three nigori unfiltered sakes and one like shochiku by <laughs> oh he, i forgot you know, about that it has sake in it too it has sake <laughs> yeah. in it it actually <laughs> works extremely well yeah and I it think, works super well can i just say i tasted it without adding the hibiki i think just this with the the sake is is delightful did you have did you have decent sake on hand though, Chang? I had to buy a bottle of crap sake, and yeah. I got it for online for four dollars and ninety nine cents. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. A little glass it. can. No, it, it was a, it was like a full wine size bottle. Oh, wow. I was like, wow, that is crazy. It's cheaper than like a bottle of water. <laughs> yeah, I'm truly, I'm truly, I'm just truly sad about just like the the ability. You can you have to go to a very specific place to buy sake, or maybe that's just my experience. I mean, am I wrong, John? Like, sake just is not part of anybody's Western grocery store experience. I mean, I'm in New York State, so like you can't buy sake in the grocery store. So that's this sounds like an amazing <laughs> convenience for me to be able to purchase sake in the grocery store. All right, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, you know, it's it's hard it's hard to uh, to get into if you're if you're sort of looking at it from the outside, and especially if it's like you don't speak or read Japanese. Not all the labels are super accessible, so you're probably your, your grocery store buyer is probably just going to find whatever is cheapest, and that's that. I mean, honestly, the labels with the Japanese and the Dai and, and Junmai and all that, it's no different than Grand Crew and Crew and First Growth, oh, all that stuff. And it's just in a different language. And that's all. It's just scarier for white people. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. So how, how do you guys want to handle our, our declaring There's of a no winner here? There's no real debate. I think everybody wins for me. And I don't do this because it's John. John's John wins because it was the most fucking insane recipe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not difficult to make. Yours was more difficult because I actually had to chop up fucking ginger. <laughs> oh, I just microplaned it into the Cambro. Yeah, I microplaned <laughs> mine in there. I was like, <laughs> my my recipe is great because it's made for like doomsday bunker preparation. Like it's just shelf, shelf stable. Yeah. yeah, and I just use for yours. I just use uh, whatever beef stock concentrate you know or whatever. Be really good is bouillon cube might be just mm, that's what I, I use just like the beef bouillon it was actually very very delightful um i mean i'm happy enough to declare john the winner based not on the not not only on the fact that like his cocktail was the sort of most uh alchemical like something interesting is happening here like that's what our favorite i think that's my favorite thing about recipe club recipes is when like like you said, Dave, you go in and you have no idea what the result's well, going to be. Is it, I, I, I will also say you're right, but I think it was the most delicious one. And are we only thinking that because we're Asian and we're biased towards those flavors? Well, yes. <laughs> 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 I mean, clearly, yes. But John, like... That was my uh, evil plan. Is, I, God, we are just like... I feel like, Dave, every week we're just being... like the, All these guys are just wrapping us around their fingers every single week. And we're like, well, what's going on here? How, how do we John's going to finish this and he's going to be like, these guys are so fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, John, what... Did you learn anything from the other two cocktails that, that was interesting that stood out to you like in the way that Dave and I are talking about having learned from yours? I learned that I don't like horseradish and maybe that's why I sort of created a drink without horseradish because there's something really accurate. Maybe like the real like wasabi, the plant, the root, but the horseradish in both the Martha Stewart and the the Frank Red Hots, like I was like, oh, well, I guess I just like don't like that flavor. Hmm. But that also got muted the more time that went into the cocktail sitting in the refrigerator. 
So that to me also was really interesting to note, like how they all kind of evolved over the course of time. So, you know, if you're making a drink with fresh ingredients like lemon juice and other stuff like that, I usually advocate for making everything as, as fresh as possible. But I think this is actually a recipe that like anybody made recipes is improved by an overnight in the refrigerator. Yeah, I think that was a big, that was, no, that was, that was a, that was an interesting takeaway for me too. And now knowing I've got some leftover cocktail in the fridge, that's only going to taste better. Um, all right. Well, whether or not we want to declare John the winner or we want to declare this a three-way tie is moot. We still need to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we still in anticipation if, and when we can get, uh, John back on this show, we should spin this wheel one way or another. And as the guest, I'm going to let you replace the bloody Mary on this wheel of life anyway. So to review, our wheel from last time was Guinness, mangoes, peanut butter, cabbage, tofu, frozen peas, King's Hawaiian rolls, cream cheese, garlic, and Bloody Marys, which is falling off the wheel. John, you got anything in, in mind, anything burning you want to try to, to um, school me and Dave in creating? Is it unfair to pick another drink? No, I don't think that's unfair. I mean, it is unfair, but what is fa- what's, what's fucking fair about <laughs> Recipe Club? Right. Can I tell you before, just as you think, John, my yeah. first culinary creation ever was legitimately was based on a Bloody Mary now that I would think about it. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. What was that? I was at Kraft. I was working in Garmanger, and it was lunch. It was like morning. No, I was prepping for lunch, and we had these beautiful heirloom tomatoes in, and we were... um you know, making consomme from all the ends. As you sliced them, you get all these butt ends and you salt them and you let it sort of drip. And Tom Calicchio in his recipes at, when he was at Gramercy used a lot of tomato consomme. And it's in his book, I think, Think Like a Chef. And it's a great con- tomato consomme recipe. And there's a variety of ways to make tomato consomme. Uh, you can use it with gelatin, which was really revolutionary from introduced by Heston Blumenthal, which is a great way to clarify. But the easiest way to make to- tomato consomme is just to blitz the shit ton of tomatoes and s- string it up in some cheesecloth and let it just drip. And I told James Tracy, the the sh- sous chef at the time, I was like, I don't know what came over me. I said, we have these beautiful prawns from the Gulf. Can I poach them? And I'll make this consomme and then I'll make horseradish oil and mm-hmm. we'll do um, garnish with chervil and we'll do it in a little little a dish. We'll, so poach them in corbouillon and then we'll serve them in tomato consomme with some vinegar i think it was lemon juice and some um uh horseradish oil and we put it on the menu and it was delicious whoa wait so was when you say that was your first was that like the first menu item that you got that you put no, on it was that the menu? first dish that i ever came up with that actually was good wow yeah and in your head was it like a bloody mary reference or did it just sort of come out that way i just it was like it, it'll make sense you know what yeah. i mean and it was more like a Bloody Mary meets shrimp cocktail. Mm-hmm. But that sounds awesome, though. It was really good, really refreshing. But the reason why you'll never see it, you have to go through a lot of tomatoes to make that tomato consomme for that yeah, dish. That yield <laughs> seems very low. Maybe it's easy if you do a jelly and, and, and you do that. But like now we're getting the food that I don't give a shit about anymore. So <laughs> anyway, that, that distracted John long enough so he could think of a topic. What about meringue? Ooh. Ooh. All right. Let's do meringue. Got eaten mess, meringue mushrooms. Dude, eaten mess is so good. I love eaten mess. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> goddamn the Brits, they have the best <laughs> names for their goddamn some of their food. Yeah. Eaten mess is literally the best name for that dish because it, it it just it describes it. It's so evocative. 
if someone told me what Eden Mess actually means, it's Uh-oh. like the school of Eden. It's like the mess hall in Eden. Mm-hmm. It's like Harry Potter. It's some Harry Potter shit, but it's also it's on on a peak. It's like Eden yeah. mess. mess. It's a mess. So let's spin this wheel now that we've we've uh, we've put meringues on on here. All right, we're gonna we're gonna give this wheel a little spin spin ski pie. Ooh. What is Kings Hawaiian? What is Kings Hawaiian? Oh Kings Hawaiian rolls, John DeBerry. You don't know John Kings DeBerry, Hawaiian John DeBerry. I just no. This is exciting. You. I, I want to. This Kings is the only Hawaiian thing on the wheel. I is, don't know. Is a bread based on a Portuguese recipe made by the same family in, based out of Hawaii. And it is as iconic of an Asian American brand as anything that's Asian American. I'm a huge fan of King's Wine. This has brought me a great joy that we landed on this. Yes. Mm-hmm. But what is it though? Is it like a it's a bread? It's a sweet, it's a bread. sweet. Oh, okay. It's just sweet like little bread. pillows of joy, man. Just mm. pillows it's of joy. It's a little bit sweet. Again, it's based on a Portuguese recipe, but it's 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 still life. It sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. And under underappreciated. Um, okay. So <laughs> we've reached the end of this episode. Uh, thank you to our producers, Isaac Lee and Sasha Ashal. Uh, check out our social channels, Recipe Club on Instagram, Recipe bye, Club bye. Podcast. Where, where, where do we visit the John DeBerry business? John DeBerry Omnimedia. Uh, I mean, you can go to johndeberry.com. You can find my book, Drink What You Want, which is a cocktail book. Uh, And then also you can go to drinkproto.com. Proto is spelled P-R-O-T-E-A-U to order order online. But it's all johndeberry.com. It's all you need to go. And you're not, if you're not uh, buying this, you're not a real recipe club fan. There. That's it. true, and I and John, I will say Facts. I have a couple of friends who did buy Proto on the on the back of Recipe Club. So give Thank everybody you. what's the best way to drink Proto for me? Like as a bartender, I never I, I the idea of serving someone an unfinished beverage was unthinkable. So right out of the bottle, ready to drink, chilled like a glass of wine, just pour and go. I did all the work for you. That's the idea. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, so next week we are going to take a little week off everybody, but after that, it's going to be the season finale series finale. If you fuckers don't tell your friends about our show and, uh, blow this thing up and it's going to be a special episode. All of your original OG recipe club wedgies are going to be joining us. Priya, Brian, Rachel will all be there. We're having a big potluck. Rachel's bringing the main course. Priya's bringing an appetizer and Brian's bringing dessert. Dave and I are in charge of the booze. It's going to be fun and weird and wild and who fucking knows how it's going to go. But that's coming up in two weeks. Dave is giving me a weird look. Dave's ringing mezcal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, stay tuned for that, everybody. Thank you as always. Bye. Bye. Bye.